I think it's just such a privilege. We get to sit through like the highlight reel of so many lives and like hear the best about everybody. It is a daily reminder for us to cherish everything in our lives every day. You know how you feel when you walk away from a funeral and you feel inspired? Like, I'm really going to, I'm going to call, I'm going to call my uncle that I never talked to. Like, we are hit with that every day when we sit through a service and, and to be able to, to be a witness, a front row seat, as you said, Amy, to that. You're listening to the Beyond the Obituary podcast from Renaissance Funeral Home in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm your season one host, Jason Gilligan. Last season, we brought you stories of people who have passed on, as told by their loved ones, because a life is so much more than a one-page obituary. On this season, Joe Smolensky, funeral director and vice president of Renaissance, is your host, and we're going to dig deeper into the industry of death, because there are so many questions that most of us are afraid to ask, but we've always been at least a little curious about. So let's get started. Here's your host, from Renaissance Funeral Home, Joe Smolensky. On today's episode, we bring on Amy Sexton and Heather Hill. Amy recently studied funeral service education at Fayetteville Tech Community College, where she is finishing her curriculum. Today, she's an apprentice at Renaissance Funeral Home. Heather graduated from Fayetteville Tech five years ago. She's been here at Renaissance Funeral Home for six years as a funeral director. I wanted them both to come on the show because they've gone through the process of how to become a funeral director fairly recently. It's a unique job, and it's certainly not for everybody. So what is it like? What are the requirements? What are the classes like? What is it like being an apprentice? What is it like being a funeral director? What are the challenges? For Amy, she didn't get started until her 40s, but her interest began way back in high school. In ninth grade, I took a course that was uh, some kind of a vocational prep course, I think, that was required back then. And we had to do a test back then. And my number one, what you should do with your life, was funeral director. And I hadn't thought about that for years until I started taking these tests again. Now, you know, I was 44, I guess, at that time. And that came up again as one of my top things. And so kind of came back to that. And just remembered, even in ninth grade, you know, all my other friends were completely and totally creeped out by the fact that I got that as a result. Um, But it didn't completely bother me. And I just kind of, you know, didn't think much about it. Having five children, my house is a very loud space. And so when that came up and I just started thinking about... um, you know, what my personal experiences with funeral homes and, of course, usually at a funeral, um, but then also the idea of embalming. And I'm not going to lie, my very first thought was, dead people are really quiet. <laughs> that sounds so appealing <laughs> to me. <laughs> That's what I want to do with my life. I want to be around quiet people because the rest of the time, there's nothing quiet in my life. Um, so that was kind of a humorous, but toe tip into why I would consider this. Um, And then I just started researching from there and it it did feel like a good fit. So decided to log on to Fayette Tech. Well, started searching for a school and decided to yeah, and when apply. when was that exactly? When? Oh gosh, uh, two thousand summer of two thousand seventeen. Okay, so is recently when I started yeah. looking. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. and then what what really 
brought you to that point that you were going to pursue the funeral career? Yeah, I mean, I think just, again, just going over and over it, just noticing some of my own tendencies um, when, again, when I would want to escape the chaos of my house. Um, we live about a block and a half from what a large cemetery in Wake Forest, and that was my my go-to <laughs> if I wanted so you were out. not fearful of, of no cemetery fear whatsoever. Death no. no, I'd been there at night. I'd been there early in the morning, and and there's a lot of superstition around the cemeteries from a lot of my neighbors, and so it's a very you know isolated place. There's rarely anyone there except me and the the landscapers occasionally, yeah. um, and so just that just felt like another confirmation that this was certainly not going to be an issue for me coming into the death industry, so to speak, um, and that it was kind of a comforting place for me. So, And I'm getting the sense nobody in your family was a funeral director. Oh, no, no. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, plenty of funerals in my history. So, you know, lots of interaction in, in that sense. But no, this is, this is a first for, <laughs> for my family. For somebody that is interested in becoming a funeral director, what is the first step you recommend for them? Meaning go to the board of funeral service first mm-hmm. or, or start working at a funeral home for what would you suggest? Um, I think probably a combination of things, definitely researching the schools and see um, what's available. Cause it, it certainly depends on your area. There are not a lot of schools out there, but now I think more than ever, there are many more, like what Fayette Tech was, a technical schools or community colleges that are offering the accredited program. So I think looking and researching schools, because there's a great benefit that most of my schooling was able um, to be done online, but there is always an in-person component of it. So figuring out where you're willing to go, how far of a distance you're willing to travel for that you know, portion yeah. of it. So looking at schools, um, looking at the board website to understand, you know, what are the requirements, including testing and, and licensure testing and the apprenticeship and things. But I would also say if you can get your foot in the door at a funeral home, even just being an attendant, you know, for funerals and things like yeah. that, every bit of that experience lends itself to the curriculum and to the, the testing and to all of the requirements that you're going to hit when you get into school. So yeah. if you can do both, certainly try for both. Yes, yeah. definitely. Definitely agreed on that one. And and just uh, for those listening too, the only school in North Carolina mm-hmm. that is or has a funeral director curriculum is Fayetteville Tech. Mm-hmm. Now they do have uh, a satellite location out in the mountains. Um, they work with, I think it's Catawba Valley. And Heather, do you have anything to add as far as that question? What step should somebody that's interested in becoming a funeral director take first? I, I'm glad that you asked me that because I had a little different experience. I didn't go in when totally blind. When did you blind. become a funeral director? I got licensed in 2017 is when I got my also license. Yes. Okay. When I first decided to go into this, which is its own story too, when I decided I wanted to start school, I actually called you or emailed you here at Renaissance because this was something that I wanted to do, but I actually wanted to step into a funeral home, speak to somebody that worked here or somebody that had experience, give me the good, the bad, and the ugly. I remember I reached out to you. You agreed to meet with me. We met here and you gave me a lot of background as to, you know, here's here's the benefits, here's the benefits, meaning, you know, emotionally, these are the rewards that you get when you help a family. 
there may be long hours, there may be, you know, adjustments on your personal time. So you gave me a lot of background. I was really thankful that you were able to to talk to me about that. And I think you were trying to to give me the real the real lowdown and hoping to send me in the right direction, but it just made me want to to work here mm-hmm. and to to be a funeral director even more. So then I kept in touch with you more so mm-hmm. and did the foot in the door and yeah. you had me help out at some visitations and you answered some questions as I was going through school. So I kind of kept in touch with you that way. So having my foot in the door and helping at visitations, I think helped me uh, secure mm-hmm. the apprenticeship here. So that was my, I wanted to know what yeah, it was and, like. And well, you and- can take the, um, you can, you can get your apprenticeship done before you take the school, mm-hmm. the school curriculum. It can be before, yeah. concurrent, and or Mark, after. And Mark, who also works here, he, he recommends getting the apprenticeship done first because at least if you're a few months in and you say, hey, this isn't for me, you didn't put money towards schooling or, mm-hmm. you know, stress yourself out on that end, you, you got to know, hey, I like this or I really don't. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what were you going to well, say? Well, I was just going to add, I didn't mention, but the Heather jogged my memory, but I did, before I started, even applied for college, I did call a local funeral home up in Wake Forest and I did the same thing. I asked if there was just anybody that would just kind of give me an overview of what to expect. And I actually met with a female funeral director at a, which was also nice because I was able to kind of ask from the female perspective and and women in the industry and being a mom and family and, you know, how do you balance all those things? So that was beneficial also to, yeah, to just, if you can have, find somebody that will take the time to sit down and just answer some of those just big general questions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So is an apprenticeship required? It is. There's there's funeral directing, there's funeral, there's embalming, and then there's funeral service, which is both, um, which is what I've did. And for me, it's a two-year apprenticeship that's required for that. I believe it's a year per thing. So for if you were just doing directing, you'd have to do a one-year apprenticeship. Um, so you have that choice. Someone has a choice of just dealing with families as mm-hmm. a funeral director or both dealing with families and uh, working with the bodies. With the bodies. Mm-hmm. And that in that sense, they'd be going the extra year to tackle embalming along with the other classes associated arts, with it. that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. it's a diploma for a mm-hmm. funeral director and an associate's degree mm-hmm. for funeral service. Yeah, it's associates in applied science, I believe. So, yeah, which is it's a two-year program, I think is the way I've got it set up. Four kids still at home. It took me three and a half years, <laughs> but I was, you know, working through it as best I could and also doing my apprenticeship at the same time, you thankfully. Can do part-time. Um, so, yeah. You so to, just, what, how many hours is the apprenticeship? Is it um, 2,000? It's 2,000 hours in the two years. You can, it can take as long as 36 months, but no longer than that. But, but it could also take It could take less than, than that year, if you, yeah, yeah it could get, get the done. hours in. Mm-hmm. Well yeah. Okay. I mean, there are challenges for the mm-hmm. apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. Finding an apprenticeship yeah, in that, this area yeah. is very challenging. Mm-hmm. I know of people who have left the program and abandoned their licensing mm-hmm. because yes. they were unable Several to people, secure yeah. um, an apprenticeship. I don't know if the area is so saturated with people wanting to get in or that funeral mm-hmm. homes maybe – I know we do because you've you've had Amy and I here yeah. as apprentices, but that is a very difficult yeah. difficult to secure and something that should be considered before you even yeah. consider going in, yeah. finding and one. Absolutely. I don't know if the school is very inviting. Hey, yeah, come here. Everything's fine in the industry. The truth is there's been a, a slight decline in services because, well, really in employees because 
burials, traditional burials are not as common. So, I mean, a traditional burial, you could have as many as six funeral home staff or or more in some cases, but it would involve a lot more manpower. But when you're dealing with an urn, most of the time, or, you know, a burial less than 50% of the time, or whatever the, the percentages are for the funeral home, they're less than they used to be. Mm-hmm. And so you don't need as many employees on staff. It came up a lot during school and, and discussion boards and things like that. And I'm strongly of the opinion that the, the national board should create some kind of an incentive program for funeral homes to encourage them to have something, you know, reciprocated to them for the time and energy, because it does take time for you guys. I mean, you you invest a lot in teaching me things that I can't necessarily take up slack yet as an independent funeral director. You know, I still have to have someone with me for everything. So it's, you know, there's, it's not that it's a disadvantage. I'm, I'm hopefully, hopefully I'm not a disadvantage. I'm here helping and things, but it's a, it's a balance. And so I do think that if the board could somehow incentivize that program, because you you do have the school enticing people to come, but there's also there's a time limitation, and I'm but I think it's like you have to have done everything within a, a five year time frame, or um, certain parts of it aren't valid anymore. Yeah, and so if you're sure. stuck, not able to find an apprenticeship for you know year after year, that can be really really hard. And so I yeah. I was very lucky, very fortunate. I feel like I have to say this because Heather will pay me my hundred dollars after this. <laughs> um, Check her cash, but, please. Yes. <laughs> Um, but just to, to have connected here with Death Cafe, to have gotten to know Heather and to have kind of had that opportunity for her to invite me to come, you know, test the waters and then for you to extend the invitation to come and, and do the apprenticeship here was was huge. And I, I feel that that I was fortunate in that compared to a lot of other people. So. Well, it, it's all about heart. And I saw that you had it, and there was really no question, honestly. There was one day she was working a service, because and I you watched her, yeah. and you, you came to me right away, and you're like, I want her. This is exactly what we're looking for. She's great with our families. She shows that compassion we want. It was like you flipped a switch, and yeah. you're like, that's, that's it. Because I, I, I hadn't met you. I think you'd been here like two or three times. Mm-hmm. But um, we keep talking about the board. The board is mm-hmm. the North Carolina Board of Funeral Service. Mm-hmm. How do you get your apprenticeship started? Um, finding a place that's willing that's to do one. it, number one, and then it's it's filing paperwork. Um, so and it's all website. online, the board's website, um, and it's just a matter of filing paperwork with them, at which point <laughs> the real paperwork begins because then it's, it's monthly tracking every service you do, every arrangement, every embalming, and it's it's a checklist that you have to keep, and then also monthly work reports that have to be sent in that both tally the individual components that you're, because you have to have a minimum, I think, of 25 arrangements that you've participated in, 25 embalmings, 25 funeral services, things like that. Um, and so it tallies both those and your cumulative work hours to get to that 2,000 hours. And you have to submit those by a certain date every month to the board via email or fax. It's it's not, you know, complicated, but it just it is a lot of tracking. And you have to be on funeral home grounds or in the presence of a funeral director. Mm-hmm. To, yeah, to my, I have credit. to have for me, um, and Mark is my technical preceptor. Mm-hmm trainer supervisor yeah supervisor all of those words um and so i have to have either him for an embalming or someone else who's licensed in embalming like you joe or heather or one of the other funeral directors has to be here you know if i'm doing a a service or something like that so yeah and and my license was done maybe uh 10 years before the two of you and Mm -hmm. nothing's changed that's everything you've said Mm -hmm. is exactly the same way it was for me 
And what type of classes did you take your first years? Uh, my first year was all core. Um, I had not done any real college prior to that. I dropped out of college back in the day to get married young and have kids. And so first year for me was all core curriculum, English, like, you know, uh, anatomy, psychology, all the just basics, computers, writing, et cetera, um, was first year. And then second year was really when you get into the, the FSE classes, the funeral service education classes. And so that's when we started psychology of death and dying. Um, is there sociology of? Sociology is part of that. Yeah. Um, anatomy. Anatomy. Uh, I did have to take a, a merchandising, funeral directing, merchandising, managing, um, funeral business law. Pathology. One. Pathology and microbiology. Microbiology. <gasps> <laughs> yes. Chemistry. Got through the chemistry, yes. Lots of science classes that were the, the bane of my existence, but I made it. <laughs> Got through them. And there was there were labs. And there were labs, where yes. You have to be you the, don't have to be down there. You could actually do them at the funeral home. The right? labs right? so I did there are two options and I did both <laughs> because I just like to complicate. And, and the my labs life. are only for those pursuing the funeral service. Funeral service, yes. The the two classes that require labs, one is restoration arts. That one you have to do on site. I don't know another way um, to do that. But it was only two visits for the whole semester. Um, it, they were long days. It was, you know, like eight to, to one or eight to four for the whole day there. Um, but you only had to go twice during that semester for restoration arts. And that's, for people that don't know, that's focusing on when you have a body where there are injuries or there are repairs that need to be made to make that person yeah. viewable for the family. And then the embalming labs, you can do one of two things. You can do a work-based study, which I did do the first semester, which since I did embalmings here under Mark's tutelage, and I had to have 16, um, and that got really tight, you know, 16 weeks of class. So you had to have at least one a week. Um, so that would be something for people to consider if they are in a funeral home where they can do that. What is your volume of embalmings? Because you may or may not hit that mark. And then the other option, which I actually did in the second semester of embalming, there's embalming one and two, was to do labs on campus. And, and I did that partly just for myself to be under another person and to have just kind of a broader experience to see how I've worked with Mark and that's been great, but just to see that there are every embalmer does certain things different ways. And so I just wanted to have, you know, a little bit wider scope of how people handle certain situations and to just be in with a bunch of other students. That became a little more challenging with COVID happening. Those got bumped and bumped and bumped until we could do them safely. But I did, you know, finally get through those. So, and that's only, that's five labs. You have to go five different days during that semester. So. And so the labs are when you're you're in front of the, the body. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming that was one of your first experiences in front of a deceased person, a dead body. And what were your thoughts going into that class? Yeah, well, for, thankfully, because I'd been here, I'd actually been around a lot of bodies and I'd, you know, been helping, helping Mark. And, um, I mean, I still remember the very first, first body that Heather and I dressed together, you know, and yeah. you never forget your first no, one. Right? You exactly. Yeah. And so, so it wasn't as much of a, you know, yeah. a scary So another thing. great reason maybe to get your apprenticeship going first. Because you kind of, yeah, you're, you have a chance to be in a prep room where you're exposed to the smells. There are smells that come with a prep room, both chemical and, and you know, physical. So 
to kind of test your your gut and go, is this something I can actually handle? Can I see and do the things necessary, you know, to take care of this body without because some people don't know that they're weak stomached until they're in the position to find that out. So thankfully being here, yeah, I had had that exposure. So going into the labs for me was not that big of a deal, but I did have fellow students there who that was their literal first time being in the room with a human body. And a few of them had to step out, just catch a few minutes of, you know, fresh air and come back. Um, so I guess it's kind of a sink or swim moment yeah. if you haven't already right. had prior experience. And, and um, on the opposite side, well, not really the opposite side, but Heather took a different path. She mm-hmm. did not go the embalming route. Mm-hmm. She stopped. Can you share, Heather, what made you not pursue embalming? Well, yeah. when I first started here, I had only seen a deceased person in a casket. So I didn't know how I would react when I actually had to touch and dress And I, too, remember the first time I I dressed someone. So I came in not knowing which direction I was going to go, whether I was going to go the funeral service for funeral director or the full license route. And I actually begged to watch an embalming after I started. Please let me see one. Let me see if I can do it. And then I witnessed one and I thought, yes, I, I can do this. It's not I was able to watch and wanted to do that. So I did actually pursue the embalming route. I started classes for that, but that's when my husband died and I wanted to get working right away Mm -hmm. and then realized that in some firms, like where we are here at our funeral home, I like the aspect of still being able to help dress and help do hair and help prepare Mm -hmm. the body. So to me, it wasn't an either or. I either work with the families or I work in the back. Here, I'm able to work with both and still help casket and still help dress. And I like still being able to work with with the bodies. So for me, and I'm okay with that now because I do prefer working with families more, but I like the aspect of being able to help out in the back and, and have say or, or do hair and go back into the quiet of the back room <laughs> and talk to our ladies as we're doing their hair. And I just haven't pursued the embalming route because I'm just, I'm happy with where I am working with the families and up front. But I did want to pursue that, but then backed out because yeah. of my family situation. Yeah. Amy, mm-hmm. which classes were the most interesting to you? Hmm. Um, obviously, the most interesting just from a an, an visual and tactile are the embalming classes. And, and um, restoration arts probably was my favorite in terms of the physical part that you're learning because just the idea of being able to take what someone else would deem unviewable, you know, and, and being able to know what to do to give a family an opportunity to have closure that otherwise may not have had it to, to have those skills. That's huge. And to see some of the before and after photos that, um, the professor that I had for that class in particular were just astounding. I mean, it's just, it's really remarkable. And, and two, because there's a, a part of it where there's comfort in its science. And so, um, Things like trying to help someone who's discolored to have a more natural appearance, um, being able to know that, you know, there's this color wheel and, and it's and it's just it, it lifts the pressure a little bit to some extent to know that all I have to do is know that A plus B equals C, follow that protocol and I'm going to be able to give this family something that they didn't think they, you know, would be able to to experience or achieve. And so that was one of my favorite classes. I think 
From a more curriculum-based, my favorite class would have been the um, psychology of death and dying, especially, I guess, retrospectively. And as I've been doing the apprenticeship, I've loved that class because it's just so pertinent. The information is so applicable to every family that we sit down with to understand the process of grieving, to understand the the fact that there's this individual journey happening for, you know, you may have a room full of five people in your arrangement, but they're all experiencing this differently. And so to know how to process that in my own mind and know how to respond to each of those reactions and to each of those needs was just really beneficial. And I feel like that's one that in my head, I fall back on the information I learned in that class a lot. Heather, did you have a favorite? I love psychology. Mm-hmm. I, I, and the death and dying class, yeah. those were the two that resonated with me. Yeah. I can put accounting at the very bottom, oh, yeah. and let's put the <laughs> psychology and the death and dying classes on top. Mm-hmm. Those were very well done. Yeah. Which classes can be taken <clears throat> online, and then which can you not? And then did you experience differences? Um, you know, would you rather an online class? Do you rather the in-person class? Um, everything can be done online, save the labs for the, the classes that require labs. The, my entire program was online otherwise. I enjoyed the online work. I'm pretty good at being a self-starter. And I think if someone struggles in that area, online would be a challenge, you know, not having that physical person. There were some classes that I, I think you know, maybe it would have been more beneficial to, to you may have gotten more personal stories or more um, anecdotal kind of scenarios from having a professor there sharing a lecture versus just reading it in the textbook or um, just a videoed lecture or something like that. But it wasn't particularly hard, I think, to do the online classes as long as you were just, as long as you sign in. <laughs> you just got to take I that think, first step I every day of a, signing in. A personal thing, depending mm-hmm. on the type of person yeah, you are. Yeah, what kind of learner like you, you said, are, too. Very scheduled and mm-hmm. making sure things are in in, in time. Yeah. But if you if you struggle with that, then you probably want to show up. Yeah, absolutely. Which is true for all online learning. Right, now, I mean, any I program. We're all, mm-hmm. we're all kind of leaning that, learning that as mm-hmm. we go, because yeah. so many things are online now, mm-hmm. not just from the pandemic, but just in general, yeah. a lot of things are offered online. Even... Back in 2007, roughly, they had just begun the online, the ability to take classes online. So I did and was able to take advantage of that. Uh, so that was nice from Raleigh, not having to drive, you know, mm-hmm. 80 miles or whatever it is. Any, anything to input, Heather? No, I don't know what other questions you might have, whether we work on this or not. But I think, you know, Amy and I are both moms and women in our 40s in this 40, well, maybe one, one, well, one above 40. One of us 40. will be in our 40s a little longer. <laughs> 40s, uh, maybe one fifth. Um, and I think that, you know, we we get asked a lot as women in the funeral industry, which women are now much greater numbers than men in schooling now, mm-hmm. not in the industry, but right. in schooling. And we have talked with a lot of other females interested in getting into this career or actually pursuing this career and balancing family and life and schooling and everything emotionally, the emotional labor that comes into this job. And it is really tough if you if you are a woman with a family and you want to get into this this career, there are a lot of questions that you need to ask yourself, not so much 
that you can accomplish the schooling. With it being online, that makes it easier for, for us to access the schooling. It's when it comes to the apprenticeship and family time and choosing a funeral home that will still honor your time with your family and you're still able to be there for the families that you're serving. It is a really tough balance. I'm not saying it's just a woman problem. There are men at home that are are raising families and and doing that, but for the most part we all know that that's mostly mostly women and a support system at home is really important and finding a funeral home like you have been able to do for both of us that's you know I've got to leave early I've got a doctor's appointment with the kid or you know but we're there when you need us but you know it, it's tough to go in with an apprenticeship and getting your foot in with a family and and balancing all of it it, it is something that really needs to be considered even with doing both the apprenticeship and the school at the same time, there was so much that was invaluable in that in, in that I was able to take what I was learning at school and immediately apply it to work and vice versa. I was able to take things that were happening at work and apply that to discussion boards and answers. And, and it was less hypothetical. I could actually, I knew, you know, had experience. But it is true that, but I always felt kind of torn between the two because there were times when, you know, there may have been a funeral service that was happening here where you guys needed somebody, but I also had an exam coming up and felt like I needed to study. So you're constantly kind of feeling like you're torn between two places. And that didn't even count being a mom, being a wife, getting dinner, you know, on the table, the, those sorts of things. So yeah, it's you have to um, know yourself and know where your boundaries are. And in the most respectful way, yeah, find somewhere that's willing to work with you so that you can you're going to have to live with a little bit of dissonance of always feeling like I could be doing something in a different location right now. There's always something that could be done and you're just going to have to discern and choose when you can be where. You know, with women in the profession, women can connect with people generally better than men. And I think that reason why they make better funeral directors overall. Um, You're recording this, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's true. Um, You know, and traditionally men had been for years, probably not only the cultural reason because men worked and that was just their job. And and even going back many years ago, a hundred plus years ago, they were cabinet makers Mm -hmm. and then they were the scientists and the doctors and they were the funeral directors and the embalmers. That was the reason men kind of were just granted into the funeral director role. But as things have changed, funeral directing is not simply about putting a body on display and getting the job done. There's the relationship aspect for many funeral homes. It's the relationship aspect. And that's what matters today. Not so much just this simply this display and getting a job done. So Women are able to do that, I think, better than men in general, and and that's why you've seen this. So we'll um, finish up here with just a few questions or statements on the best part of the job, the worst part of the job, and any closing thoughts, uh, both for you, Heather and Amy. Amy, you can Mm -hmm. go first. Um, So best part of the job is definitely what you just hit on, besides Heather. (laughs) The best part of the job, who is not motioning to herself frantically, um, the best part of the job is definitely the connection with people and with the family and just, um, you know, having a family say, 
I thought this was going to be so much harder, but you made the process so much easier. Or just having a moment where you're just picking up on something that someone's feeling or experiencing and you're able to to meet that need for them in that moment. That's the most rewarding part for me. That's the best part of the job. Um, it's just that that connection and that that humanity. Just the it's like we get to do random acts of kindness constantly in our job. Um, but maybe not so random, but you know, in terms of just a, a phrase that I think people relate to these days, that's that's our whole job is just um walking people through the hardest day of their life and, and making that a little bit less burdensome for them is why I enjoy the job. Worst part of the job Seriously, it's it, the, the hours can be, you know, yeah, your, your weekends can be all oh, over the yeah. place. Holidays Saturday, are all over the Sunday place. Night. You just yeah. you don't people do not die on a nine to five schedule. So that is the most challenging probably part of the job. But from just a very practical standpoint, no one warned me. None of you in this room Uh-oh. warned me before I came in how much vacuuming was required <laughs> to be a funeral In a director. building that has lots of carpet. Yeah. Huge building full of carpet. Yeah. Miles, we have to put 13.1 on the right? back of our car just for the well, vacuum. I, exactly. I'll, I'll just state here that once the carpet <laughs> needs to be replaced, we're getting hardwoods. Okay. Well, but then we're going to have to what, mop. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> but yeah, the, the degree, the, the the level of stamina to uh, yeah. to stand for four hours for a service and then vacuum. Uh, yeah, start start doing your squats now. Start <laughs> prepping now. It's, it's a beast. True. <laughs> Heather? Oh, oh, best part of the job. You Worst know, part of the job and any closing thoughts. Yeah, I think Amy hit it. Very well on the the best part of the job is, you know, you, you're stressing because everything happens, you know, you get the, you get the call, you work with the family and usually within five to seven days, everything is done. Mm -hmm. So it's like a whirlwind, whirlwind. And then when you're done and that family is leaving for that service and looks at you and says, this was a really hard thing to do. And because of what you did. You've made it so much easier. That right there is Mm -hmm. the reason I think Amy and I are both in this, mm-hmm. in this job to get that. Not that we need, we, we have our own validation when something sure. goes right. You know, we'll come back into the room. How'd the service go? Oh, it, it went, it went perfect. You know, this, this or that happened. So the validation from ourselves or our families that we have done something, done that random act of kindness. I'm going to steal that from you, Amy. <laughs> and besides, for the worst part, besides the, the hours and the, you know, coming home to the kids before they hug me, they'll say, do you have dead people on you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, besides, you know, sometimes coming home and needing to jump in the shower right away. Um, I, I personally just don't like the the nitpicky paper, all the paperwork mm-hmm. that goes in the background when you're filing death certificates and doing all the, the background paperwork, work, which thankfully we have an amazing admin, Colette, who mm-hmm. helps us. She's my left hand. She does things before I think about it. I'd rather be with people and be doing instead of having my head in the, in the file cabinets. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's not the fun part. And, the, and uh, everything that Amy said, too, with the vacuum. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, think it's, I think it's an amazing, rewarding career Mm -hmm. that I enjoy so much. I don't enjoy coming in on the days where I have to file or do paperwork. Those are days where I'm like, eh, but when I'm getting out of bed, when I'm meeting a family or doing a funeral, I really know when I'm, when I come in here that this is really what I want to do. And that, 
I don't take that for granted because a lot of people never get there. And we get to sit like, I, I think it's just such a privilege. We get to sit through like the highlight reel of mm-hmm. so many lives and like hear the best about everybody. Mm-hmm. It is a daily reminder for us to cherish everything in our lives every day. You know how you feel when you walk away from a funeral and you feel inspired? Like, I'm really going to, I'm going to call, I'm going to call my uncle that I never talked to. Like, we are hit with that every day when we sit through a service and, and to be able to, to be a witness, a front row seat, as you said, Amy, to that. You okay, Amy? I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) I was doing so well. Okay. It's hard to end after that, know, isn't right? it, Amy? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Here's a tissue. We love you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah thankfully there are tissues everywhere. There's there every tissues well, everywhere in the funeral. That is true. That was Amy Sexton and Heather Hill from Renaissance Funeral Home and Crematory in Raleigh. If you're interested in becoming a funeral director, just like Heather and Amy, check out the Fayetteville Tech Community College website at Faytech, that's F-A-Y-T-E-C-H-C-C dot E-D-U, and search for Funeral Service Education. And the North Carolina Board of Funeral Service that we mentioned can be found at N-C-B-F-S dot O-R-G. We could use your help if you would please subscribe to this show, rate us, review us, or just share this episode on social media. And if there's a topic you want to hear us cover, we'd love to know. Send us an email at podcast at rfhr.com. We sincerely hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to learn more about us or our Death Cafe, please go to our website, rfhr.com. This show was edited and produced by EarFluence. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Beyond the Obituary.